1: The sermon you're going to hear today was preached 61 years ago in 1961.
2: Seabreeze Camp Meeting in Hobe Sound, Florida was the venue, and T.M. Anderson was the
1: evangelist. He titles this sermon, experiences from my ministry. I know you're going to enjoy what you are about to hear.
0: Keep passing it on, keep passing it on and on. I don't want to lose the vision. I don't want to take for granted the heritage.
2: Things with you and the truth as I <clears throat> have seen them, witnessed them, and somewhat dissipated in them. I'll have to ask that you <clears throat> excuse or make allowances for my pronoun I because there's some things you can't tell if it's personal or what you use the pronoun I, and it's not done only, not I. But Christ. So that when you're sharing anything in your personal experience or in any matters like that, the personal pronoun comes in, and I don't like too many of them. But it is not I, but Christ. Brother French asked me to repeat or tell you some of the things that. I know from firsthand experience in the matter of relationship to the Savior. And so some of them may be new, some of them may be old, but to me they're always fresh. In the Gospel according to John, I had noticed it as I had at a number of times, but yet it hadn't come out to me, it hadn't leaped out at me like I wanted it, like I felt it had later on. Why, the Savior said, He that hath my commandments, it's in the 14th of John, and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and I will love him, and will manifest myself unto him. Now, you emphasize in your thinking this statement, I will manifest myself. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, was so completely mystified by the statement of the Savior, that he asked the question, how is it that you manifest yourself unto us and not to the world? But what you can see is that whatever the Savior had in mind and whatever he meant by the manifestation of himself, it was peculiarly for his own people and not for the world. And that the world would evidently not see it. It would not be in such an external phenomena in some manner that they would see it. It would be something intimate, peculiar that belonged particular between the Savior and His people, and the world had no part nor lot nor share in it, except as it would eventually be affected by those to whom the manifestation was made. And the word "manifest" means to reveal or to communicate or to make known or to give you some information, but let's let's keep it in mind that it means to reveal. He said, I will reveal myself. But I think you should also keep in mind that to reveal himself would not only be to appear before you if that were the matter in person, but whatever he is in his divine nature whatever he is in his being. That's what he wants you and me to know. Not only to see an appearance of someone, that is not what he had in mind, but to reveal himself, to let you know what I am in myself. Now, I knew that promise. I knew that was in the New Testament. I believed it with all my heart. But it's another thing to really have him to do that. In 1950, at the beginning of the year, I was at that time employed teaching in the Department of Religious Education in Asbury College at Wilmore, Kentucky, where I live. Now, Asbury College is not a Methodist school by any means. It is an interdenominational wholeness school, and it is not a Methodist school. The present day Methodism would kill it as quick as you'd kill a rattlesnake if they could, but it's not gonna kill it. So in teaching in there, I had had such a schedule, I had 16 hours a week, and uh, I wanted to do some writing in addition to that. But my courses ran such, I had some in the morning and sometimes one or two in the afternoon, depending on how the schedule had been made out, But this was the winter quarter after the Christmas season. Now, when I had to be at work, I had to be at my classroom at a few minutes after 8 in the morning, so you can tell about how much time I would have in the early morning. And by the time I got out at 2.30 in the afternoon, I was too exhausted to do very much writing on anything. So I remember when January began, I got before the Lord one morning praying, and I said, you give wisdom to Solomon to write to lead a nation. Would you consider me to be worthy of knowing thy word? I want to know your word. I want to know it so that I may rightly divide it. I would rather know it than anything that could possibly come to me. Now, that was the burden of my prayer. Let me know thy word. But what I didn't take cognizance of at that particular time is that he himself is the word. And that if I knew the word, I would know him, and if I knew him, I would know the word. Now then, <clears throat> nothing unusual happened until about the 6th of January, when I was suddenly awakened at midnight as if the alarm had gone off or if the fire whistle or something unusual had taken place, and I was just as wide awake, and I didn't hear anything or see anything to be awakened for, and my first reaction were, well, you better get yourself back to sleep again because I had made a promise to myself I'd get up very early in the morning maybe around 4 or 5 o'clock and do an hour or two of work before I had to go to school I'd better turn over and go to sleep again because i will be dead on my feet tomorrow and then <clears throat> suddenly the room was lighted and yet it wasn't lighted there was no light anywhere in my room no light near it It is as dark as any other time And then there was the softest glow of light. I thought, well, maybe I'm asleep or something. I better get up. I got up and walked around. And then the Savior stood by me as plain as I see any one of you. I, I've never seen any such a garment in all my life as it had on. I've never seen any fabric that looked like it. Never expect to see. It. But it's just as vivid to me today as... And it was a color, and yet I'm colorblind when I wasn't then. And it moved, it, it, it glowed. Well, I still said, you're having a nightmare, but if you are, it's the best one I ever had. <laughs> I walked around, got up walked around in the room, shook myself and rubbed my head, and if you're awake, and I concluded I was awake, and <clears throat> he didn't say anything to me, but the word was there. I spent five hours with him, I never in my life ever had five hours. that went as fast. I don't know what would come of it. I wasn't sleepy. I wasn't sleepy the next day. But one of the things that happened was that I suddenly become terribly burdened with an awful agony of prayer. If you had put a chain around my, under my arms and began to twist, and crushed my ribs, I would have suffered no greater pain, which lasted, I suppose, for a half hour, and I got down and got my head between his feet, and I prayed. And I confessed, now I did the thing I've never done before or know anything about it, I confessed the sin of the world as if I had all of it on me. I never had anything like that. I confessed the sin to the student body at the school that I was teaching. And about 30 minutes after I'd taken all that on, it eased up. Presently, everything came back as it had been, and he was gone, (laughs) but he wasn't forgotten. Now then, I went over to my classes. And when I sat down, now I was teaching one particular class. I was teaching, I had a 10-week course in the book of Hebrews and in the book of Acts, five of it to be in the book of Acts and five in the book of Hebrews, in which I was to lecture the student to take notes and pass the examinations. When I started to lecture that morning in that particular course, the word of God commenced coming out of my mouth, just like you'd think of water coming out of a hose, and I sat and listened at it just as much as a student I said things that I'd never said before in my life and never seen and never heard of and I lectured five weeks on the first chapter of Acts and wasn't through and worked, worked the next five weeks on the first chapter of Hebrews and still wasn't through and I still have all that <laughs> I never took it down in notes It just in my noggin that's all I can do from that time on the word of God has been to me one of the greatest treasures that mortal man could ever have and my greatest fascination is in it now you may have noticed that here when I'm listening to preacher preach you've seen it little black book in my hand I can't listen to a man preach and, and follow him unless I'm doing something else so I usually sit and read Greek while he's preaching so I can listen to him The New Testament. I don't know why it is, or mine just goes too fast, I reckon. Something, but (laughs) it's a joy. Now then, with that matter in your mind, of course, later on then, in the month of February, it will soon be 11 years, on the 23rd of February, one of the greatest revivals I expect to see, I hope not, broke out spontaneously in Asbury College and spread all over the civilized world. I suppose that the ultimate result of it was there was more than 50,000 people that sought God. And i have never seen anything like it. It was on the headlines of the newspapers and on the Voice of America. It was everywhere. And whatever preaching was done in it, I did it. And I had nothing to do with it. You didn't have to preach. You just get up and talk a few minutes and they'd come to the altar by the hundreds. They'd come for hundreds of miles to seek God. And that that centralized in everything was the Savior's immediate presence in the recognition of his word. I believe we can have them like that today if we throw away your programs and get them out the window and kick them all out. Boot out all the fellas that want to establish some kind of a program and get everything arranged let God get a chance to get at us one time. He has to climb over a lot of our trash, a lot of our notions, a lot of our fool stuff, and we get so many songs to sing, and so many prayers to pray, and so many sermons to preach, and he can't do anything. We get the stuff out of the way and let God take over once. Well, I tried to tell my denomination that, but you might as well try to explain the dissertation on the fourth dimension to an old cow as to try to tell them, so I didn't tell them anything more. They've got their programs, so let them have their programs. And I even wrote, I even wrote a small booklet on the matter. I couldn't print it, and the man that rejected it was kicked out because of adultery. That's the thing you run across. Go tell the Nazarenes I said that. That's so. But me, that as it may. Now then... <clears throat> I want you to see three things about that word, and then I'll tell you some things that probably you'll maybe understand them in that. God's word, as near as I can find, always comes in a trinity of truth in three aspects. One of them is his creative word. That's the word that creates. Now keep that in your noggin a moment. The other one is his word of commandments. Now that one we see, that one is in the book, you see it so often, commandments. The other is his word of communication, the way he speaks to you and talks to you. Now you'll remember this, that the only way we have of associations of each other and getting any information to each other is by word of mouth of communication. And the only way that God can get to you is by some means of communication. And thus your prayer life is a two-way communication, coming and going. And the divine spirit communicates his word to you, tells you what. Now he's put that in writing. Here it is in writing. And he likewise reserves the right to speak to you every now and then about something. Better keep your ear all fixed up So you can hear what the Lord has to say And you don't want to be so far off He has to holler Just be where he can whisper and If you live close enough to God Until he sort of whispers some things for you Then the neighbors won't know anything about it And the way you act about it They'll think you're goofy They don't know it. They haven't seen a normal person before And they don't know one when they see it The reason they saw you, say you're crazy and out here in the outer realm among religious people is that they can't see, they can't comprehend that anything supernatural could occur, so they always have to have something either of the devil or witchcraft or fortune telling or something like that. You ever notice that? They can't get it in their heads, you know, that somebody might know something they didn't happen to know, and so they have to fix it up so since they don't know it, why then he's goofy. Well, if I'm crazy, I'm having the best time any fellow ever had on this earth of being crazy. <laughs> now, the word of command, the communicative word, I'll come back to it in a moment, but the word of command embodies all that great doctrine of teachings that tells you how to live. You don't need me to bother about that. You've got that because it wants the precepts. But his, his creative word... Apparently, he has reserved that for himself he has never delegated it I can find in the scriptures to anyone permanently he's given you commandments they're permanent but his creative word he has reserved to himself and only occasionally does he ever commit it to anyone now what I mean by his creative word he speaks and it's done he just speaks and it's done Now what was that, pray tell me, that the two apostles had when that man at the gate, beautiful, they said, in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. Now whatever that communicated, whatever that creative word was, they had a portion of it, and that's what happened. Now if you can get a hold of that, you're going places. And it is that place of it that brings about our healing and brings about miracles but after a while we get so sophisticated and so self-conceited and so much unreasonable, God said well you go ahead and do it you go ahead and do it now I've never gotten a hold of it to my certain knowledge but once that is, I was preaching one morning in a small congregation, just a very ordinary service. And when I had gotten through preaching, I didn't have a chance to make an altar call till I saw an old alcoholic, a regular old sot, come down to the altar. He didn't have any liquor in him, but he'd been going through a spell of snakes in his boots, and he was in a bad condition. And he looked up at me out of those bleary, watery eyes, and he said, Is there any help for the likes of me? Yes, yes sir. Now, you can get up and preach. God can save you from all sorts of sins, but you get a case like that on your hand, and you've got something. You've got something. Now, God said to me, just as plain as anything in the world, command him to be free in the name of Jesus. Now, nothing on this earth had I ever had like that. Now, you ought to have heard the command I give. It wouldn't have stirred the fuzz on a gander's nose. It had so much unbelief in it. I just couldn't get it through my head. And I said it about as sickly as this. In the name of Jesus, be clean and be whole. I marvel at the patience of God. He spoke to me, he said, command him to be free in the name of Jesus. And when he said that, something went through me. I felt I owned the universe. Good lord, I don't know what to have. I said in the name of Jesus be free! And he leaped up and died in victory after. That. That's the only time I ever got it all the time I've ever gotten but ladies and gentlemen it's somewhere it's somewhere <clears throat> and I've asked him a number of times if he could trust me with it but so far as I'm concerned he hasn't let me have a hope of that yet he does if I don't jar the false teeth of the devil with it if he let me <laughs> <laughs> Now, always, there's always a, a fascination on the part of any of us, there's always an interest and a fascination in anything that is unusual or out of the ordinary. And it is when we get so much devoted to seeing something out of the ordinary that we usually overlook the necessary because we're looking for the spectacular. And I went along... With me, this your unworthy servant, I went along two things, and one of them was somewhat in the unusual, the spectacular, and it's part of it which I have no knowledge of what it is or whether it is or anything else. The other is permanent. I'd rather have the Word and the knowledge of the Word and His help in knowing the book than anything else, even to heal people or anything else. To me, those are accompaniments, not necessities. You can get to heaven a coughing and a crouping and sick and suffering in your body, but you can't get to heaven without holiness. So you see, that's the main line. But I found this. I don't know how nor why I found this. That God sometimes did some things I wasn't expecting, and sometimes he did what I wasn't expecting. And I don't know why he did it nor how he did it. For instance... I was preaching in a Methodist church, and there was a woman sitting in a wheelchair. The church was seated exactly like this with the center aisle, and a woman was sitting here in a wheelchair. Now, I suppose she must have been in her late thirties, and uh, she was so crippled in her hands that they were just, they were just like little bird claws. And she hadn't walked for some time. I didn't know who she was, don't know yet who she was. Well, when I came in on the platform, it wasn't quite time for the service, and I saw her sitting there, and she'd never been there before, and I'd seen, so I went down and spoke to her, gave her a few words of comfort, and took her two little knotted hands in mine, they were just as cold, just as cold as they could be, just took her hands in mine and shook them, and I said, in that day, great day of the resurrection, he has straightened those things out, and they straightened out them. I never said a word, never prayed a prayer. They just straightened out. And later on, she wrote me a letter in as good a hand as you could write. And she said, I'm beginning to walk. Now, what was that? I don't know. What was that? I don't know. I know it worked. That's all I know. It worked. <laughs> I've taken other people by the hands when they're crippled never done a bit of good in the world so I didn't have it it wasn't in me it just in his will and that's all why he didn't or why he did I don't know I don't know well I was in another church one night and we had been praying around the altar and we had a special prayer meeting that the pastor and son of the people had asked we pray for the sick now I have no gifts of healing there is no such a thing as a gift of healing there are gifts it's in the pearl, healings and gifts God don't have just one way of doing things he has several ways but I saw a woman way back in the auditorium and she was so badly crippled she started to get up to come down to the altar and she wouldn't have gotten there in five or six minutes she was dragging one leg after the other trying to get out I said you don't need to try to come down here we could come out there so much easier than that Went back there and said a few words of prayer to her and she ran all over the church. She beat me at the altar and all over the place. Amen. And yet I prayed for others time and again. They never run anywhere and never got up and went anywhere. I don't know. I'd rather have his word than that. Yes. But I could get a much greater crowd of people if I could do that for everybody. But you'd have so much selfishness in it that if it invited you all down to the altar and pray for you and heal you, you'd just climb over one another but want you to come down and get sanctified. About a half dozen of you straggle down, the rest of you won't get it. So you see, I got to have the word, not that. <clears throat> now, there have been some other things that are strange, very strange. For instance, a man, an elderly man, as near as I can recall now, I think he was in his way up in his 80s. <clears throat> he was down at the altar one night, crying and sobbing, and the pastor said to me, "He said if you can help that man, he's one of the best men we've got in the church. Said he's a godly man, but he's in trouble, and he's in trouble about his own experience. He seems to have gotten it in his head, or he's under a pressure or temptation or something, that maybe he's been fooled all these years and never was saving his life." it's possible for you to get that away especially in the age and sickness or something else and they said we can't do anything with it well I've never seen the man I know what to do and I knelt down by him and I said did you uh, want to pray for you he said yes sir now I hadn't said a uh, half a dozen words till suddenly I was standing in a kind of a grove looking at a little White frame church. Now, you say praying for somebody, and your mind going off off of that kind of a tangent? Yes, it did. And I went in that church, and I saw a young fella get up from the altar, happily saved, and got to shaking hands around the people, and somehow or another, I knew that that was this old man. And yet, there was a young man, looked like in his early twenties. I backed up and I said, did you ever go to a revival meeting sometime in your past life in a little white-framed church in a grove? Yes, sir. Sixty-five years ago, I attended that revival, and I went to the altar and I got saved. I said, it still holds good. I just now went back 65 years and saw you get it. And, man, he took the place. (laughs) If the devil didn't get loose, not loose that time, gentlemen he never bought. I saw that old man. I saw that old man a year after that, and he hugged me. And he said, it still holds good. I don't know I went back 65 years but it did now time with the Lord there is no time it's just now with him just now (laughs) now in that line now here's the way it helped in another line I can tell you hundreds of them but just these there there was a woman in a camp meeting I was in and uh, she had come he said 750 miles to that camp meeting to get help. Now, <clears throat> the last Saturday night of that particular camp, I was sitting on the platform people, a few people around the altar. It was getting late. Most everybody had gone. A lady came up to me, and she said, Brother Anderson, I know you're tired. I preached that afternoon. And uh, she said here's a woman down here that's been at the altar every time the altar service has been presented and she has come uh, 750 miles she's got to go home tomorrow and we've done everything we possibly can to get help for that woman from God and we can't do a thing and if she leaves she'll leave here in just as bad plight as she come or worse do you, do you feel if like you just come down there and say a word or two might help I said did she ask for me said, yes, sir, she asked for you. The reason I asked that is I don't know if they not want it. Not want it. And it can't help you anyway if you're not wanting I don't like to volunteer my services because I can't tell what you might run into. So I got down by her and I said, uh, <coughs> did you want me to come and pray for you? Did you ask for me? I said, yes, sir, Dead. When she said that... <laughs> And I saw one woman in a nurse uniform, and I saw a doctor look at her and kind of sneer. Her. And after a while, I saw the same woman leaving the hospital, and she had something under her arm. <laughs> I said, Why uh, did the doctor there at the hospital, why is it he looks at you so sneeringly? I said, What have you done? She said, I, I owe a hospital bill and I won't pay it. But if the Lord well, forgive me. I'll go back and pay it. I said, okay. I said, you stole the blanket and you're leaving with it. Now, what are you going to do about that? She said, I'll make it good. Then she got through. How do I know she's in the hospital? I don't know. How would I know she stole the blanket and started coming out with it? You do like some people And I said some of those things Said I'll never get around to him He'll find out something You don't have to <laughs> Cause if you said that I'd know it anyway <laughs> I don't know where the lady is But a lady came up yesterday At the table over here And talked to Brother French I couldn't hear what she was saying But I think she was asking about her Brother or something and directly she stood by me and I said, uh, he walks with a king, doesn't he? Yes, sir. Paralysed on one side. Yes, sir. I said, he used to chew tobacco, didn't he? Yes, sir. Aren't you the lady? That's it. <laughs> I never heard her say anything like that, but I saw that. And I heard her know it. I don't know. <laughs> one preacher said, there's a woman said she wasn't going to come to hear you preach if you come to hear her you preach said you tell something on her <laughs> <laughs> Why? Well, i said she don't need to come to church to hear me preach anything like that i said she's about 42 years of age she has dark hair but she has one of those premature streaks of white right up here in her hair and i said she had a little girl about six or eight years old and she's divorced from her husband, and she's backslid. He said, man, if I'd written it down, wasn't it wasn't any more. Then I said, well, yeah, I don't have to see her. <laughs> <laughs> Saw a great, long-legged fellow. He must have been six feet or more, slim. He come down to the mourner's bench, and he sort of just folded up like he's closing up a jackknife and got down and he had his hand up and praying and praying <laughs> he wasn't getting anywhere <laughs> and the pastor said can you help that fella?" and incidentally he was a Nazarene
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> well I got down there by him and I said uh, you want me to pray for you did you ask about it I said yes sir well, I hadn't much more than said that to him, but I saw a little Ford pickup truck coming, just a- coming along, and it just run up, turned around, and backed up and sat right by I said, What about that little Ford pickup truck? He no, said, I got to go make some restitution. They got up on it. is somewhat interesting to you and a bit amusing to you and those things they're serious but they're terribly serious with people terribly serious another instance I'll tell you and I'd better give over the time is over I was called I was in a meeting in Hot Springs, Arkansas and a friend of mine phoned me he said my wife has to go to the hospital tomorrow for an operation, she has she's been over and been examined, and she has a tumor in her side about the size of a large orange or a small grapefruit. And she had had an operation several years ago, and I don't think she can stand it. She'll die, and we want prayer. Well, to make the story brief to you. I got her in front of God, like I told you, just took her in there, talked to him about it, and I was looking at that tumor in her side. And I looked at it, and it just commenced to shrink, just kept getting smaller and smaller, and was gone. I saw him shortly after that, a day or two after that. I said, Don't. uh, Tell your wife not to go to the hospital unless it's very, very urgent, unless she has a good deal of pain or unless it's malignant or something, tell her not to go for the operation for at least two weeks. But if it's serious and malignant, well, he said, why? I said, told him what I saw. He said, all right. She went about two weeks after that and there wasn't any tumor. The doctor looked at his x-ray picture taken take around and said, well, it's gone, There not any. And she hadn't been operated on it. Well, she had, but the great physician had done it. Amen. Now, I prayed for others, and they never got any better. I don't know. But I'll tell you this. The Lord is the greatest physician I ever knew. He can take your heart out and give you a brand new one and not even give you an anesthetic.
0: And the heritage of Holiness that has been on. I don't want to lose the. Fire.
1: Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a Ministry of Interchurch Holiness Convention featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at IHConvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855-USA.